Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Well, welcome, everybody. I hope you're having a good day. I uh, was just really thinking today about people that are in denial of difficult situations with someone who is cognitively unaware or has memory issues. And what do you do when you have a serious case of somebody that can talk a blue streak but is cognitively unaware. And what do you do when you're kind of in denial about how far along someone is in your family with a disease and what options are around you? Where is the line between what you can do for that person and what you cannot do for that person. I'm going to have Clara Lee Charlton on the show again, I hope before the end of July, to talk about guardianships and conservatorships and power of attorney and what they cover and what they don't cover. And we'll go through all of that with her. But Today, I've been dealing with a couple of cases already this morning and kind of ongoing of people that are unaware of someone else's needs, people who are unaware of what legal ramifications can be if you don't care for your person, Um, what if you want somebody to come in and kind of take over and do things for you, but then you don't realize where that road is leading to. So I'll give you some good examples of what I'm talking about. Um, I have recently taken a family um, to a care community, and uh, they had the person with the diagnosis with them. And they were concerned that the people in the community were further progressed than their person. And the truth of the matter is that there would be, you know, six or eight people you could easily poll and say, if you sat down and and, um, had, had these two kind of trying to have a conversation, you would see that they are in the same general capacity level as somebody else who is there. I don't know about other cities, but I live in Denver, the Denver metropolitan area. And because of COVID, the programs available are kind of diminishing or have diminished. When they couldn't be open for two years, they folded 
they can't get the people back. They've gone on to other places. Um, they can't have the services available. Like we used to have a fantastic place called the Johnson Center, but it's not available anymore. So if you don't have daycare programs and things like that, what do you do? Well, your only other options really are to have in-home care or do-it-yourself, which I don't really recommend unless you have to. You can be very tired. You can be very, very tired and you just need help. Maybe you don't know you need help. Maybe you don't know the time is now. So I'm going to take a couple of scenarios that I've been working on for the last couple of weeks and explain myself a little bit better. So I have a lovely, lovely family that uh, I've worked with for, um, I'd say, two and a half to three years now. They've taken my classes. They've had a private class in their home. Um, they have much to my adoring them for this. They told me recently that they have used this book from the training that I provided, that I created, and they have watched the progression through this book because in one of the chapters I have how the how the um, progression of disease of maybe Alzheimer's continues on like a locomotion and where do you have drop-offs and where are there changes and things like that. I even found out that that particular family uh, has used the share, to, share the Care calendar that I gave them. Um, and they've had it working like a well-oiled machine for two years where they sent it out to some friends and family members and said, these are the days I need covered. And and um, would all of you look at this and see when you could come and spend time with my person? And and they have done it once. These people have signed up for once a month to do something with that person um, for two years now. <laughs> And uh, I mean, you want to talk about beautiful? That made my day. I, in in when you live and work in the realm of dementia diseases, the rewarding days are few and far between. They just really, really are. And um, so, in this particular case, I had this lovely person call me and say, "I'm thinking about." maybe having a home care person. And the only reason they called me is because I called to check on their person and see how they are and said, by the way, I have, you know, some caregivers that work with me and uh, one of them has some free time. So I got this wonderful phone call and the man said, well, maybe I'll do this in the fall or the winter. And, you know, I'm like, well, why not now? If you're thinking about it now, why aren't you doing it now? What's holding you back? Well, sometimes it's the denial that you can do things for you. You you can do things better than having somebody come in, right? Come into your home. It's scary to have somebody come into your home, somebody you don't know. Will they steal from you? Will they have a bad attitude? Will they call off? Will they leave your person alone? Will they abuse your person? You know, it... It takes a certain amount of trust and initiative to move forward on something like that. Very difficult circumstances. I absolutely get it. 
I I think you know to to turn the care over when you and your family and friends and everyone has surrounded this person with love and care and compassion and 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 hitting all the cylinders just being great but then you get to this place where how do i turn that care over should i turn that care over can anybody do it better than me and luckily i was able to introduce the care provider to this person and much to my joy and amazement i was informed that they thought this person was perfect 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 um he had now spent about 3 hours with her talking to her getting to know her and so on and so forth and is going to try to bring her into the home and the caveat is that his wife doesn't want help uh hello how many of you have a person out there that says i don't want anybody coming in to help me I don't want anybody coming in to help me. You're just saying I'm losing more of my memory, I'm losing more of my cognition. I hate this, right? And so when we have denial in that way, how do we get somebody to come in? Well, my theory on that is that whoever comes into the home needs to have sort of a like personality. There needs to be a joining of the minds and the spirit um because if that person comes in and they work for me what i need and if you're bringing someone in this is what you should be looking for somebody that would look at that person and see what they could still do not what they've lost try to find that person's purpose do they need to go on walks can you have them help you with exercises or can they teach you how to golf or um can you take them to the store and get food and bring it back and engage them in cooking again if that's something that they always did but now they've lost that ability and they're moving down the road and now we're kind of revisiting it and making it fun where you just have them help you with a couple of pieces of the of the um recipe and you still can make the full recipe for dinner or what have you turn some music on enjoy it watch a movie with them you know do some things with them that is about that person say you're their assistant not their caregiver say you're there for them to make sure that they can do everything that they want to do and they can talk to you about their disease and they can have a shoulder to cry on and a person to lament with and all of that um those are ways that you can try to make it easier to bring somebody into the home and that's not made up that's not a wishful magical world this is where you try to get the right person who can have that conversation with that person so that they feel like their family's not abandoning them their family's not trying to shove care off on them they're just adding an extra layer of that love and that care with somebody who is qualified and knows how to work with that person and i believe that if you can 
build that gap. You can have a meeting of the minds. If you can touch that emotional place in their heart, you can probably get to that point. You can probably get to that point. I really, truly believe that the family I'm trying to help, when this person comes back into their home and actually is able to meet the person, it's not going to go as badly as they have imagined. I think we're going to have that emotional meeting of the heart. We're going to have that psychological meeting of the minds, and I think it's going to work out well. I, you know, maybe I'm serendipitous and and I believe things <laughs> – I'm always looking on the positive side. I certainly want to. I want to try to find the joy. I want to find the help that people really feel like they need. So don't let your denial of how far the person has gone or – what your ability is to keep that person engaged and uh, enjoying their life and having, you know, good positive engagement that is important to them and um, having somebody fill their emotional and psychological needs for you. Don't let this stand in your way about them coming into your home or that nobody can do it better than you. There are people that can do it as well as you. So don't let that type of denial stop you. Okay. So that is one case and I'll circle back and tell you how it went. I'll tell you if we were able to be successful. I would really love to have a couple of the caregivers that work with me, for me, with families on the show sometime to talk about how they go into homes and work with people. I, you know, I just got an idea there. I think that might be really incredible to give some of you some tools if you're going to bring somebody into your home to help. I'm going to I'm going to do that. I'm going to have some of my folks on the show. Now, um if you on a different scenario, if you don't want somebody coming into your home and you've made that decision, and you think maybe a day program or a respite program or something like that is the way to go, I'm going to tell you to just be open to opportunities because the daycare programs out there are few and far between. They are hard to find. Good ones are hard to get into. And if you're not willing to have somebody come to your home, um, you're going to have to try to do that share the care plan with friends. If you've moved to a place where you don't know a lot of people, that could be really difficult. If you're living in a new spot and you don't know your neighbors and you don't have friends right there in the city with you because you moved from a different place, that can be really hard. So the only other place I think you could look is maybe your church. See if you have some people that would be willing to help. You could go to senior centers. Um, maybe drop your person off at a senior center a couple of days a week just for a few hours or something like that. There are some senior centers around and they could be a good option. Don't let the look of a place persuade you one way or another. Recently, uh, 
there's been a place on the west side of the metropolitan area that has just opened. And it's a stunningly beautiful looking community. And today I talked to someone who was the third executive director hired at this beautiful, magnificent, grandiose community in a year. And he said, I could tell you some stories that would curl the hair on the back of your neck. They are very lean. It's corporate-owned. It's corporate-minded. It's not person-centered care. It's just awful. And I had a client tell me that because it was close to their home, that was the place they were going to choose. I've had another family say to me, this community is not looking as pretty or as wonderful as we want, right? And uh, I had a client say to me um, that their person is wealthy and this just doesn't kind of fit up to their standards. And to that, I say, just like that big, beautiful, grandiose community, everything is not created equal. You can get these communities that look so beautiful on the outside. You walk in, everything looks just gorgeous. And then you find out that it's either corporate owned and they're all about the almighty dollar or they hire people with criminal backgrounds. Um, they can't get caregivers in any other way, so they don't care who they hire. They've got turnover, turnover, turnover. They don't have an activities director at all. I've seen communities that um, I got a call a week ago from somebody that said, I moved my person into a community that charged a $10,000 community fee before they even moved in, and it's $10,000 a month, and they only do three activities a week because they don't have an activities director. Three activities a week. A good person-centered care place should have engagement and activities all day long. Three a week? Are you kidding me? It's going to make me drop a F-bomb. So just because they are big and beautiful, uh, here's another case. I had a case of a lady who moved into a community. She told the people and her friend that was helping her told the people of the community that they had a $7,200 um, pension monthly, which should cover the care. You should be able to get a fairly nice place, um, especially if it's an assisted living or whatever. Within three months, they had changed this person's care level when her care level didn't actually change on its own. She was still cognitively aware. She was still doing fine. 
But they just took it upon themselves to say, "Well, we're going to do this now. And we're going to charge for this now. And we're going to charge for this now." By the time three months had gone by, her cost had gone up eight hundred dollars, and nothing had changed in her care. And part of it was because she had decided, because she was sick, she got COVID. The person that moved in there, and she stayed in her room. If they, if you don't come down to the dinner area at the community,、um, they charge you if you do that more than three times in a week. So they charge you to stay in your own room. <laughs> It's not cheap. It's a hundred dollars a meal. A hundred dollars a meal. That's like going out to the nicest Italian restaurant and having a bottle of wine with your husband or something or your wife. Now there again, I'm going to drop an f bomb here in a second if I talk about this too long. I couldn't believe it. So I had the lady go back in and negotiate down and say, "Explain to me why you raised the rate on my person because she hasn't changed." Her situation hasn't changed. She's not worse than she was. She was just sick for a couple of weeks and didn't want to come out of her room. And before you knew it, they had they had her at eight thousand dollars a month, and she didn't have that money. Guess what? We had to move her, and I had to go toe to toe with that community to say we are not paying you a thirty day move out. <laughs> We're not doing the thirty day bye bye. No. Screw you! You're not getting another dime from me. So, even when you move into a place, you've got to be super careful about, you know, what the cost, really, what the brass tax cost of these places are when they're those beautiful, grandiose places. All I have to say about that is, good luck. Good luck. They're going to tell you everything you want to hear when you move in. But you'll find out the real truth about three months later. This is the way of the world. This is the way of the world, and these corporate places will nickel and dime the hell out of you, and not give you very much in return. The day I pay to live in a place where I have to pay a hundred dollars per meal just to stay in my room if I want to and not go down to dinner. <laughs> I can promise you, my caregiver nation hell will freeze over. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one -on -one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. 
Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988 to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay, we're back. So, trying to figure out or being in denial about um, where a person should be or what a community can provide just because they're beautiful, Um, not seeing what a community can provide because they're not as beautiful, (laughs) all this I could go on and on about. I mean, I'm not kidding you. I could point out 40 places in the Denver metropolitan area that look like they are just the most beautiful places on the planet. I wouldn't let them take care of my dog for real. (laughs) Oh, my God. I could go on and on forever. Okay, back to the being in denial about stuff. So another situation. Um, When you have power of attorney for financial and medical and you have somebody arguing with you about moving out of their house, but they cannot care for themselves. If you want help telling them they have to move, I can guarantee you, you better have a deep bank account. And be careful what you ask for because you just might get it, but not the way you thought you were going to. So if you have a situation where the police have to be called and Adult Protective Services is involved, um, they are busy. To get them to work with you as a family sometimes is hard because if you're doing something that Adult Protective Services feels is neglectful and they come in, uh, they may hold you responsible. (laughs) Um, In general, I think people who work for Adult Protective Services – have good hearts. You can't be in a job with very little reward. You're going into homes where people are beaten, they are neglected, they are not being fed, uh, they're starving, they're they're living in a hoarding situation, whatever it is, and not get a little jaded. So when they do come in, and they want to work with you and then you don't move on the situation and they say they will, uh, I can tell you the floodgates will open and you might not like where that river flows. If Adult Protective Services takes it to another level where they contact the DA's office and the DA's office says, uh, there could be charges here or we're going to take this to a court system. 
um, and we're going to say this person has to move. And they're always going to look for a family member to be a guardian or a conservator over health or money. And if the family member won't do it, then it's going to be a court-appointed person who does it. And these folks usually, typically, have a lot of people on their docket. They have a hundred people they're doing guardianship or conservatorship for. So the personal attention level isn't very high. They're just dealing with each person as it comes up. They check on them once a month. They check on them once every two months. They get them moved into some community and they, you know, just call and check on them maybe once a month or don't even go to see them. And they will move them into whatever community they've moved other people into. It doesn't necessarily have to pertain to um, a place that they think is the best for that person personally or a good person-centered care place, they they will just pick a place they've moved other people to typically. And uh, that's okay. I mean, hey, you didn't want to do it. The court appointed somebody else. You get what you get. But what happens is if you decide as a family member that you don't want to be the guardian or the conservator and they assign somebody, you should know at that point you have no control over anything at all. You're lucky if you can even have a conversation with them about that person's health. They're in charge of it. They're in charge of their money. Bye-bye. So how that works is this isn't like a godsend if you get APS Adult Protective Services to come in and and move this forward. This isn't like, oh, okay, I'm out. If you're out, you're out. You don't get to be involved later. They take over the house, the selling of the house, the items in the house. You don't. You're you're not going to go in and grab things you want later, like that. You know, Van Gogh picture or that diamond necklace or whatever it was, you don't get to go in later and grab it. Um, They will sell the house and they will get paid a pretty significant amount of money. Typically, those people are either retired nurses or attorneys and they will charge really high amounts and maybe they should. They're taking on somebody else's business that they didn't want to take care of. So when you're not willing to move a person or take the steps or somebody does all the work for you and gets you up to that doorstep and then you're not willing to walk through it, um, which is often what I do, um, then when somebody else becomes involved, all bets are off. It's none of your business anymore. They're taking over. They're going to make the decisions. They don't care if your person cries and screams if they have to move. Um, They don't not care. They have hearts, but they're getting paid for this, and it's a court-appointed situation, and it's another one on their list. 
And I don't fault him for that. If I get to a place when I don't do what I do anymore, maybe I'll go down that road and be a corn-appointed person that will care for somebody and take care of their money and all that kind of stuff. And I get paid a certain amount of money to do that. And typically, it's about 50 to 75% of whatever this person's assets are. Because when you're getting charged $300 an hour for them to take care of them 24 hours a day, hello, there you go. Bye-bye. It's expensive. They'll end up with everything that person has, pretty much. And maybe they should. It's okay. If you didn't want to do it, if you're in denial about what your role is, if you're not able to do it, then let somebody else do it. But it's not an easy situation to do that. Um, You might have to pay court costs. And if you are made a guardian because you wouldn't do it when you were the power of attorney uh, and you were worried about it, the guardianship gives you that legal right to do what you need to do. But the truth of the matter is you had it when you had the power of attorney. You just didn't do anything with it. Now it's become a legal thing. And once it goes through the court system and you're a guardian, you have to provide receipts for every single thing. Every dime you take out of that bank account, every shirt you buy, every pair of slippers you buy for that person, and you report it to the court on a regular basis. And if you don't report it to the court, then you're in contempt of court and that's a place you don't want to be. So if it gets to a place where the court has to um, say that person needs to move, you get somebody else to do that dirty work for you, that's okay. Sometimes we need that, right? But if they do, it comes at a cost. It's time, it's money. And if you don't want to do it, then somebody else does it and they take everything. And if you do decide to do it, then you have to be responsible and report to the court. I think it's on a monthly basis. So it's an enormous amount of work. So if you have power of attorney and you have somebody who is difficult, get anybody you can, somebody from the church, a therapist, anybody you can to go and talk to that person and try to convince them as best you can that for their well-being and safety, you need to make them move. Because if you don't and you want somebody to do it for you, there's a price to pay for that. I can't make that any clearer. There's no... This is not monopoly. You don't get free rides on boardwalk. You know, you just don't, people. You just don't. So think about these things. Think about these things. Does it matter more to have somebody make those decisions when you call them in and ask them to do it And are you aware and are you willing to comprehend what consequences may come with asking someone else to come in and help? So in these various situations, just sort of recapping, in the first one, you have to trust a little bit that whoever you bring in 
is going to work well. If you can be flexible with their time, um, if they need a day off and you've got a private caregiver that's, you know, paying their own way, you pay them. They pay their own taxes or whatever. You have a, if, you, if you can do that, it works well where they pay for their own taxes. They're not your employee. They're not my employee, whatever it is. If you call a home care company, you may get a different person every other day. You may not be able to get a sa- the same person over and over. Some home care companies like to do that. They like to get a person that gets into a house and they go to that place forever and ever. Amen. And some places put in a different person based on who's available that day. And a lot of people hate that. That's just not fun. So um, if you talk to a home care company and they tell you that they're, they're just going to send whoever is available, whoever they can assign that day, you're going to get different people every day and it's a crapshoot and it's not, it's not really the best scenario. I don't think I'd want a different person coming in every day. So you have to try to figure out what's more important to you, a private caregiver that you pay or um, and maybe have to rise and fall with when they're sick or they have to pick up their kid or whatever it is. Um, and they're not your employee and you just kind of go on your merry way and maybe you get somebody that's really, really good that stays with you for a while and maybe you don't. You know, it's tough. But Letting go of that responsibility and bringing people in is a big decision. But when you're starting to have physical problems, when the scope of care is becoming really, really difficult, sometimes home care situations are the best. In the second scenario, just to recap, um, you can look at the senior centers. You can look at the share the care plans. If you don't want somebody coming into your home, uh, you can try to find daycare programs in your area. And again, um, just to back up on that share the care, you just send a calendar out to people and say, hey, what days could you come or I need to fill these days. You, Some of you family and friends have said you'd like to help um, it could be beneficial if you could help me on these days for just an hour. These are things that my person likes to do. Maybe you make a list of them and then they can pick some from that from that group, you know, like watch a movie, take for a walk, go to Starbucks, take the lunch, take the breakfast, whatever, 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 and figure that out. Or if they have some talent of their own where they could come in and sing some songs for the person or play the piano or Um, you know, read to them or whatever it is, cook with them, things like that, uh, that is helpful. So you have to help those family and friends be successful and then ask them to commit to a whole year, one hour or an hour and a half or two hours or whatever it is per month over and over and over. So you have some consistency and you have free caregivers that are doing things with your person and that can work well. Um, In the final scenario, if you feel like your person is so difficult that you can't do anything with them, then I hope that you have somehow been able to um, have them sign legal documents before they got too bad, uh, too progressed with the disease, and understand what your power of attorney responsibilities are. And 
If you are not willing to do that, then maybe someone else needs to be the power of attorney. It doesn't have to be your kids. It doesn't have to be your family. It can be a good friend that you think is going to act on your behalf. And that friend needs to understand sometimes you have to make some tough decisions that you don't want to make. And if you're not willing to do it and you get to a place where the waters are too deep and you feel like you're drowning, see if somebody else will take it. If they won't take it, then you go a different route of a court-appointed guardian for health conservator for finance. Typically, they are not the same person. There are two different people. That's why it's expensive. And you can plan on legal fees and, you know, all kinds of things making that whole situation messy. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Going that route is not fun. It's not the best use of time. It's not the best use of funds. It's not the best opportunity. So before you commit to being someone's power of attorney, if you're a family member, uh, know what you may need to do at some point in time. And it's not even just at the end of life. At the end of life, you have all kinds of issues like if you decide not to get that person vaccinated or if you decide not to feed that person when they can't eat anymore or it, whatever things are happening. Um, when my mom was dying, she got really dehydrated and, um, you know, some thought was put towards maybe making sure that she had all the things that she needed, but she was in the dying process and we needed to just let it go. But those are difficult decisions for people. And that power of attorney needs to make those decisions. Those are in the late stage. In the early stage, you have problems like should you move them out of their home because they're not safe to care for themselves. There's no good news around this. What I try to do is have conversations with you and give you the knowledge of these options, whatever they are, good or bad. If you make a decision to move into those big grandiose places and then they charge you out the yin-yang, they nickel and dime you, they don't have any activities and your person's miserable and they price you out in a couple months, um, it is what it is. If you're happy there, stay there. Uh, if that doesn't work for you, then you got to find someplace else. And the second time around, you'll make your choices based better on, you know, asking more questions that you now have a lot more knowledge around. These are all difficult situations. And again, I'm just trying to make sure that you understand what your options are and that you have somebody, at least you have me, my voice, having these difficult conversations with you. In general, we don't have people that we can call up that can just lead us and guide us. I had somebody ask me today if the Alzheimer's Association, if they called the Alzheimer's Association, if they could get somebody from the association to come into their home and explain to their person about the disease and why they need to move and, and so on and so forth. And I'm like, no, that's why you have me. I used to work at the Alzheimer's Association and they never wanted to go into someone's home. They won't do that. And I do. I go into people's homes. I see their situation. And, you know, 
I, I was kind of surprised that I had been talking to this person for two years and I explained multiple times that that's why – one of the reasons why I started my own company so I could do these kinds of things. And um, here I go around, round and round on that merry-go-round uh, back to, you know, can the Alzheimer's Association come in and do it? Uh, what do you think I've been doing? Anyway, I love you all out there. I didn't mean to get on a tangent. I told Brian when I came in today, my engineer, that I really didn't know what I was going to talk about. But lucky for me, I have lots of clients who give me lots of content. <laughs> and that gives me an opportunity to have some real-world scenarios that I can talk to you about and maybe keep you from making the wrong decisions or hitting any of those pitfalls that um, – you might hit if you didn't have somebody to guide you. So at the very least, I hope I've done that. I hope you all have a wonderful day, and I will see you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.